Shalom and welcome to Tanakh Study. This is Alex Israel with our second Shior on Parashat Lech Lecha. Today we're going to study chapter 13, Perek Yud Gimel. But I'd like to make a few comments uh, going back to uh, the latter half of Perek Yud Bet and the story of Avram and Sarai in Egypt. Last time we presented a perspective from the Ramban which said that Chata Avram Avinu Gadol that Avraham Avinu had sinned greatly by bringing his wife into danger in Egypt, by leaving the promised land, the land which God had told him to go to, and that he had uh, sinned uh, greatly in this episode. But it's important for us to realize that in this case, as with many other cases in Tanakh, there is always more than one perspective. And um, there are many, many Mepharshim, amongst them the Sepharno and the Abarbanel, before them Midrashim, like the Medrash Tanchuma, who do not criticize Avram in this story and see him essentially in a situation where he doesn't have too many choices. Uh, and let me try and explain, if you want, a more positive view of this story. The story begins in Perakud Bet Pasakud. There was a famine. The, the famine was, was particularly severe. In the words of the Tanchuma, The world never experienced such famine. And this is clearly coming to defend Avram and Sarai for making the decision to go down there. Uh, notice they go down Lagur to sojourn, not to live. And But still the question is, what was Avram and Sarai thinking? What is this plan of Imri na achotiat, say you're my sister, leman yitavli va'avureich, in order that things will be good for you, v'chaitan afshi biglaleich, and I will uh, be kept alive because of you. I, even before I get to explain this phrase, let me note that the parsha begins with the famine was very severe. But at the end of the Parsha, we read uh, in Perak Yud Gimel Pasuk Bet, as they leave Egypt, Not the famine was heavy, but now Avram is heavy with livestock and silver and gold. I have to say that if I, if I took these as the sort of counterpoints of the story one would argue that the story starts in tragedy but it ends in triumph and if you organize it in this way somewhere in the in the in the middle where you see that she is taken to the house of pharaoh suddenly god steps into the picture if avram had sinned so severely why does god come in to afflict pharaoh with great plagues or with great um, uh, ailments. Why is God stepping in? Let Avram suffer the effects, the, the consequences of his action. And therefore we might have to say that indeed Avram went there against his will because it was situation was so desperate. And that indeed God blessed him in this situation and God protected Avram and Sarai. Uh, and I think this is the way we want to look at it in that case. Uh, we're going to read Pasukud Gimel in Parakud Bet. Imri na achoti at. Say that you are my sister, says, uh, uh, say, uh, 
says Avram to Sarai, it will be good for me. We brought the critical um, opinion of Rashi who says, in order it will be good for me so that they will give me gifts. He's clearly thinking about the parallel later where it says in Pasuk Tetzayin, What does it mean in order that it will be good for me? What we hear later on, which is, and to Avram hetiv ba'avura, they gave him great wealth or great goodness, tov, and gave him livestock and donkeys and slaves and maidservants and mules and camels. That must have been what he was looking for. But I don't think we need to say it this way at all. In fact, I think we'll see it as sort of an ironic symmetry in the story because I think the better way to understand this phrase is, Say you're my sister, so that it will be good for me, in what sense, that I'll be left alive. In this reading, I think what we want to say is the following, and this is, as I've said, the way the Sephorno goes, the Abarbanel goes, and others. That Avram and Sarai are left with a very, very desperate situation. They've been sent to the land, but they haven't been told they have to stay in the land. They've just been told, to your offspring, I'll give this land. At the moment, there are no offspring. And it's unclear that they have to stay in the land. They certainly don't gain that impression. They go because, indeed, it is kaved hara'av. They don't have many choices. And as many times we see people leave lands with famine to go to a place where there really is food. And they make this plan that Avram will pose as her brother. Um... He says, When the Egyptians see me, if they think I'm your husband, they will kill me. Rather, I'll pose as your brother. Now, what exactly is the plan? It seems like the plan is that they will engage in a sort of a bargaining procedure whereby they'll ask for her hand in marriage and he'll say a higher price and a higher price and a higher price and in the meantime while the negotiations are going on they'll be able to escape and that's the worst case scenario and uh, they'll make sure that they can protect each other in this way and the threat of death will be removed from Avram's head. What they don't bargain for is that Pharaoh will get involved because it, with every ordinary commoner, if Avram bumps up the price, he'll reach a point at which it's too much to pay for Sarai. But look what happens. Avram and Sarai had agreed to do this. When the Egyptians see you, um, and indeed, the Egyptians saw that she was beautiful. They could have handled that, but now look. Verse 15. Three times the name Pharaoh. The officers of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and they took her to Pharaoh's house. Ishisha is usually marriage. They they take her for the purpose of marriage. Um, and in this situation, uh, they're simply playing above their league, something they never could have anticipated happens. At this point we have the irony that rather than rather than it being good and leaving his life 
him alive, they give him great goodness by giving him wealth, but luckily God steps in and in Pasuk Yudzayin, Vayinagah Hashem et Paronagahim Gdolim ve'et Beito. Rashi here explains that uh, they were expected, they were inflicted with some sort of disease which meant that intercourse became very painful or impossible. And this didn't only happen to Sarai, but it happened to Kolbeito. And this led very clearly Pharaoh to the conclusion that this woman who he had taken was out of bounds. And that's when he gets very upset and says, Of course, by the way, professing innocence here where maybe he shouldn't have been so quick just to seize women against their will, uh, but rather should have really uh, not practiced that, that. And covering up for himself, he says, Get out of here. In this reading of the story, uh, what we're going to say is that Avram and Sarai did not have too many choices. And in fact, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is, is protecting them. And if he said before that he is going to look after them, uh, anybody who blesses you will be blessed and anybody who curses you will be cursed um, suddenly we see God's protection of Avram and Sarai but I'd say that we learn something more than that from this story you know when Avram heard the blessing to your offspring I will give this land and knowing what we know from chapter 11 which is said in both ways, the positive and the negative. Vatihi Sarai Akara, she is barren, ain't la valad, she has no children. In other words, it sounds like there's no possibility of her having children. Avram might have said to himself, okay, I am going to need to have offspring, but Sarai is not the woman. In this story, when God brings Sarai into this danger, which was so unexpected, and then protects her. Avram is given the clear message that Sarai is his covenantal partner. Sarai is not uh, some sort of uh, first wife where there will be a second or a third wife. Sarai is the woman who will uh, lead into the future as his partner. Now I know this is going to come back into question with the Hagar story, but I think here we can already understand that he's saying that Avram and Sarai are a, are a pair, are a couple. And uh, this, I think, is one of the things that Avram and Sarai learn from this story. The second thing that they learn from the story is that, and I think we will never see Avram leaving Eretz Yisrael again. And we see from here, and we know how averse Avram is, to sending even his son away from Eretz Yisrael when Yitzhak needs to get married and the suggestion is that maybe he will go off to Mesopotamia Avram says no under no conditions does my son leave Eretz Yisrael and maybe that was the second thing that he learned from this story that however dire the circumstances um, his responsibility is to remain in the land and um, if we say that Avram is going through a process of Lech Lecha, he is in a process of becoming. And we are unclear that he knows at the beginning what God wants of him. God doesn't say very much explicitly. The only communication so far, Lezaracha Hazot. It's all in the future. Slowly, through the events that Avram is experiencing, he is going to have 
an opportunity to, so to speak, read God's mind. And in this story, he understands that God is very much on his side. God is protecting him. But number one, Sarai is his covenantal partner. Number two, it's a bad idea to leave Eretz Yisrael. And he will remain in the land from this point forth. Let's read Parakut Gimel and see the rest of this story. I have to say, in the Masoretic um, division of the Torah, the story about Egypt and the story of Lot are in the same paragraph. And one imagines that they are actually connected in some way. They're definitely going to be connected through the usage of the metaphor of Egypt, through the image where, if you want, Sarai is called Achoti, and Lot is going to be called Achi. We're going to see a lot of seeing, uh, just like before it said, um, they saw her. We're also going to see the same vision with Lot. So let's read a little more. Pay attention to the interesting symmetry in the language that we're going to see in the opening lines. They're going to be critical to the story. Avram went up from Mitzrayim. Avram went up from Mitzrayim, him and his wife, and everything he had, the Lot Imo, and Lot with him back to the Negev. As opposed to the opening lines of chapter 12, Lot has been distanced from Avraham. In, that, in those lines, a Lot was right after Sarai. But now, Avram comes up from Egypt, him and his wife, and everything he has, the Lot Imo. There's a, there seems to be a, a, a gap. But Avram was weighed down, with livestock, silver and gold. He went on his journey from the south back to Beit-El to the place where his tent had been originally right between Beit-El and I to that site of the Mizbeach Once again, Avram calls out in God's name goes back to his Mizbeach and calls out in God's name, I assume he's saying, thank you, Hodul Hashem Kitov, thank you for saving me, we were in dire danger, I was in danger, Sarah was in danger, and look, we're safe now. And also Lot, who walked with Avram, he also had livestock, and cattle, and tents. I'm pausing, so you can hear the silence. What would we expect to happen at this point? I would expect to hear, Vayikra Lot, B'Shem Hashem. <laughs> They're at the altar. Does Lot not call out in God's name? I know he's not the primary prophet, but before we saw that Lot went along with Avram when he was told Lech Lecha, isn't he in on this? And I think this silence speaks volumes. Lot has become wealthy too, son of Halim, but he does not call out in God's name. What does this mean? Let's see. This is also the beginning of the next story. He had all this livestock. And the land could not hold them to live together. Because they had so many, um, so many possessions. And they can't live together. Always the question is... Um, if they have so many possessions, but they love each other, could they maybe live together? 
There was a fight, an argument, a disagreement between the shepherds of Avram and the shepherds of Lot. And the Canaanites and Prisites were in the land. Let there not be a fight or argument or disagreement between me and you and between our shepherds. We're relatives. The land is before you. He gives Lot the choice. He pared Nameyalai. Separate from me. Masamolva You go left. I'll go right. Imayamin va'asmeila. If you go right, I'll go left. Vaisa Lot et nav. Lot lifted up his eyes. Vayar et kolkikaradein. He looked and saw the Jordan Valley. Kichulamashke. It was fully irrigated. Lifnei shachet Hashem et Sodom that was before the destruction of Sodom and Moriah, where it was when it was still beautiful. It was Kagan Hashem, like the Garden of God. I assume that means Gan Eden. Ke'eretz Mitzrayim. By the way, what do the Jordan Valley, the Garden of Eden, and the land of Egypt have in common? That a river runs through it, that the river irrigates, and therefore there is constant fertility there, there's constant irrigation. Boachat Tsar all the way down to Tsar, Vayivharlo Lot et Kolki Hayardain. Lot chose the entire Jordan Valley, Vayisalot Vikedem. Lot went from the east, Vayiparadu Ishmaelachiv. The two men separated. Avram Yashab Beretz Canaan. Avram lived in the land of Canaan. Pay attention to that. Vayot Yashab Baarehakikar. Lot lived in the cities of the valley, Vayehal Ad Sedom. And he pitched his tent. Up to Sodom, Banshe Sodom, Ra'im Vachataim, Lashem Ma'od. The men of Sodom are evil and sinners to God. Ma'od. Very, very evil, very sinful. Let's analyze this story. I've already mentioned that there seems to be a growing chasm between Avram and Lot. When Avram comes up from Egypt with all laden down with his possessions, he comes back to the Mizbeach and praises God. And Lot has lots of possessions. Now what's this argument about? Rashi claims that Lot is being somehow morally indiscreet, morally not okay. In Rashi's reading, what is the argument? He says, Shahayu ra'im shalot rishaim umar'im behem tam Lot's shepherds were evil and they would go into other people's fields. I guess that's why it says, There are other people there. You can't stum go into other people's fields and shepherd your flocks there. And Avram's shepherds would uh, rebuke them that they're not allowed to steal. And they said, The land has been given to Avram and he has no heir. Lot is his heir and therefore it's not stealing. Of course we can take it because we're going to get the land. That's Rashi's reading. Rashi's reading quite a lot in because uh, even though it does say Vahaknani Vahaprizi Az Yoshev Ba'aretz we don't have any sense that Lot is evil. We don't have any sense that he is taking other people's uh, things. I, I don't see it here in the text. So the Ramban comes up with a different interpretation. And the Ramban says very simply, it's just a question of, there are too many flocks, they're suddenly, you know, their herds are, are incredibly ill number. And the land, remember, they were just thrown out of Egypt. It's quite possible that the famine is still going on. And therefore, there has been a famine and there, there isn't so much um, vegetation around. 
And when Avram and, and Lot are in the same area, there just isn't enough um, area in the in, in the open land outside the farming areas to support that number of, of uh, sheep and cattle. What happens is that uh, Avram's shepherds and Lot's shepherds are constantly jostling for space and they get into fights from time to time. And they're worried, says Avram's worried that they're going to see these different, these very wealthy shepherds fighting with each other. They're going to say, let's not watch them fight, let's kill them and take all of their flocks. That this is a security threat for them. So Avram says, you know what, you take lands to the to the right, I'll take lands to the left. We don't need to live as one clan, let's divide our two clans, and then we'll be in different regions of the country, and we won't have this pressure. And this is a fascinating interpretation. But um, I want to, what does Lot choose? And does Lot choose to go to the right, to go to the left? And here I'd like to express a reading of the of the Targum. And the Targum reads, when Avram says, if you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. He says something very interesting. He says, if you go to the north, I'll go to the south. If you go to the south, I'll go to the north. Why? How does he know it's north and south? Well, this is actually something fascinating about biblical geography or orientation. You know, um, sometimes we call the East the Orient. Why? Because you can orient yourself always by the East because the sun rises in the East. And the same thing is true in the Bible and the Tanakh. Uh, Kedem is from Kadima, is forward. And where's forward? Always facing the sun. Um, sometimes the Mediterranean Sea. So we've got to imagine we're facing East. We're facing the rising sun. Such that the Yam HaAcharon is the sea which is behind me, the Mediterranean Sea, because I'm facing east, the, the west is behind me. And then Teimana. Teiman is, is, is actually to Yamin, to the right, which means south. And my if I'm facing east, my left hand is to the north. The Targum says that Avram said to Lot, you go north, I'll go south. You go south, I'll go north. In other words, they, they should stay in that mountain ridge, which is Eretz Kanaan. Eretz Kanaan, which so far we've seen Shechem and Beitel. If you go to Shechem and Beitel, I'll go to Hebron. If you go to Hebron, I'll go to Beitel. But what does Lot choose? Lot lifts up his eyes and he looks to the valley, to the irrigated lands. Now, here this is a major decision. What Lot is essentially doing is something very significant. Lot goes into the, the valleys, but the valleys are not the place of the shepherd. They're the place of the farmer. Because you have to be near the river, and near the river everything is farms. And if uh, Lot eventually goes down into the valley, it's interesting, when he goes down there, it says, Vayehal ad Sodom, he pitches his tent till Sodom. But very soon we find that Lot is living in Sodom, not outside Sodom. He has traded his, his uh, sheep for cash and has actually bought a home. And later we remember the story of Sodom, which focuses around his door, a solid wood door. They go Lishborat Adelet. Lot wants to settle down. It seems like Lot visited Egypt along with Avram and saw the high life in the palace of Pharaoh. Maybe it even reminded him of Mesopotamia, which is also based on two great rivers. 
and he says to himself, Why am I wandering with Abraham with these distance Lazaracha etena ta'aretz hazot? Um, I can I can settle down now. I don't. Our, our our shepherds are fighting all the time, but I don't want to be a shepherd anymore. A shepherd is always a wanderer in a tent. I want to settle down, and he moves down to the valley so that he can have a stable life. He wants out of this wandering business. He wants out of this lech lecha. He wants to stop lecheing, stop walking, and settle down. And therefore. We're going to see Avram Yashav Be'eretz Kanaan. Avram is now in Eretz Kanaan, Velot Yashav Ba'ariakikar. They decide to settle in different places, the word being Yoshev rather than Lagur and Vayahala Sodom. But the thing that Lot doesn't take account of is that the people of Sodom are actually Ra'im Vachataim Lashem Od. He doesn't make a moral calculation, he makes a calculation which is about lifestyle, standard of living. And that's what the decision that Lot makes. He'll eventually have a very heavy moral price for Lot, but we'll leave that for another time. I want to pay attention to the fact that it's at this point that Hashem continues, and I'm going to read to the end of the parsha, the parsha, the end of the paragraph, to the end of chapter 13. After Lot left him, look from where you are, look out, and look north and south and east and west. Interestingly enough, Avram had said, if you go right, I'll go left. If you go left, I go right. Almost divvying up the land of Canaan. He says, no, the whole land is yours. It'll be yours. Notice how he says it. I give it to you, not I will give it. I give it to you now. Your seed will be like the dust of, as numerous as the dust of the earth. Like so nobody can count the dust, they won't be able to count yours. Continue to walk, Avraham. The length of the land and its width. Because I'm giving it to you. Avraham does walk. And sits and dwells in Elonei Mamre, which is by Hebron. And builds another Mizbeach to God. When I look at chapter 13 as a whole, I'd like to say something about the language here. And I'd like to say something about the unity of this chapter. Avram has been in Beit El before, and in Beit El the last time he was there, it was in Shechem that God said, but in Beit El God said nothing to him. And it's only after going to Egypt he comes back to Beit El, and it's Beit El that he separates from Lot. Something significant is happening here. You know, it's fascinating. Sometimes we can learn a lot from Milim Manchot, from leading words. In the story of Egypt, the word which comes up seven times is the word Isha. All the time, Isha, 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 seven times. In this latter story about Lot, the phrase which comes up seven times is the word Eretz. Except, fascinatingly enough, in the middle, six instances deal with Eretz Canaan, or the Promised Land. But the middle one, the fourth instance, is Kagan Hashem Ke'eretz Mitzrayim. Lot is willing to exchange the promises 
of the promised land of the Aretz Asher Areka of the Lechacha with Eretz Mitzrayim. And I think what we see happening here is um, a clarification throughout this whole story, both regards to Avram Zerah and with regards to Avram Aretz, the two things that are promised to him. Avram doesn't quite know where the borders of er- the, the promised land is. Is Eretz can Mitzrayim in this land? Is the Jordan Valley in this land? He's learning what's in and what's out very, very quickly. He's also learning who is his Zerah. Is Sarai really part of this whole story? He goes to Egypt and learns that she definitely is. How about Lot? Maybe Lot is going to be his Zerah. In this story we see how Lot decides that he isn't willing to go the long haul. That once he gets wealth, he gets some capital, he wants to settle down and have the easy life in a town, in a place where the living is easy, where you live next to the river, and you don't need to worry about a land which is going to be racked by famine which is very vulnerable. We know from Sefer Devarim that the land of Israel relies on water. Water from the heavens, water from the rain, not like Egypt, which relies on the water of the river. Therefore, the land of Israel is unstable, whereas the land of Egypt, or the Jordan Valley, is stable, a constant flow of water. Lot wants to go for stability. Avram is continuing, Kum hitalech ba'aretz, walk through the land. And now he knows and now what's being clarified for him is, which Eretz is it? What is the nature of this land? This is a land that demands faith. It's a land that demands, sometimes is synonymous with instability. Maybe this instability means a certain greater reliance on God. But Avram's also understanding that him and Sarai are a team. And the Zerah is going to be, their offspring is going to be something which is only going to come to them in the future. So we can see how Avram, continuing to walk, is slowly developing and understanding his identity more and more. Be'ezer Hashem, next time we will draw our attention to Perak Yudalad, chapter 14, and the amazing war of the four kings against the five kings. Uh, tune in next time.